Welcome, everyone. This is Russ Gausel, Chronicles of the End Times. So glad to have you with us today for our continued study in the book of Revelation. Today we're in chapter 2. So as we discussed earlier in our last episode, we were at the Church of Pergamum. Jesus referred to this area as the seat of Satan. And that's quite a uh, description from the Lord himself. So we can kind of count on that part, that that's true, you know, because he said it himself, and he addressed John, and he's addressing this church at Pergamum. There was so many temples, so much cult worship, and it wasn't like you could just take it or leave it. You were required to do it. It was expected of you to do it. You had to bring some kind of incense and burn it before the altar. Then you could go about your own business and have your own religion if you wanted. And so that created so many problems in the church, as you can imagine. The pressure was so great for these Christians to do their thing at their church, have their worship of the Lord, and hear the word and whatever. You know, prior to that, they had to be at one of these temples. And because uh, Pergamum was uh, situated on this scenic Acropolis, uh, it was embellished with all these large number of Greek and Roman temples. In fact, so much so, they had the most in all of Asia Minor. They had temples to Zeus and Athena and Apollo, ones to Aphrodite. I mean, it just went on and on and on. And on another site that housed the largest Asclepium of the empire, it's a library of 200,000 volumes, rivaled by only the libraries at Alexandria. And Roman emperors came to this place for healing. And Asclepius was honored as the god of healing in all of that uh, classic world. And so you could see just tremendous pressure that was put upon the Christians in those days. And in that period of time, it was more than Ephesus. It was more than Thyatira. It was more than all of them around. This was the seat of Satan. But God's seed is greater, and he gives them a promise. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I also give him a white stone with the new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. So God has given him the promise, like he does with each church and each one of us. If we stay faithful, he reminds us that the life that's coming is eternal, and it's filled with blessing. And he goes on to say, that he's going to give them the hidden manna, which is himself, the bread of life. He's going to share eternal life and share himself with them. And he's also going to give them a white stone with the new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Once again, God has shown how personal he is. Listen, no matter who you are or what you're up to or what you're doing, what your gifts may be or may not be, you are special to God. You are created special, and don't let anybody else tell you any different. doesn't matter if you're a leader or you speak places or you have a great voice or on and on it goes. It doesn't matter who you are. God has a plan for you. And so we see that he is going to give this new stone, this white stone. What is this all about? Well, this stone was used by the ancient Greeks to vote. You know, you'd walk up. And you'd have either a white stone or a black stone, and you'd toss it in this urn, 
and it would be counted, you know, later on. So the white stone was for yes, and the black stone was for no. But we see nothing with a black stone here. Jesus is just talking about this white stone or pebble is probably the more uh, literal translation for it. But he said, I'm going to write a new name on it, a name that's only known to you. I think this is so amazing that not only was this stone used for voting, but it was also used on occasion for a ticket or a proof of invitation, you know, a permission to enter in a, a great event uh, there in Greece or in Rome. So God was going to write a new name. He's going to write a new name on this white stone. And nobody's going to know it but you, the person who gets it. And it's such a personal thing. You know, over and over again, Jesus shows this, that he's a personal God. You know, you matter. I matter to him. And so this is a stone with your own name on it, a new name he's given you. You know, he changed Peter's name. (laughs) Maybe he's going to change your name, too, to something that he assigned to you. I mean, that's just incredible. You know, here on this earth, you know, our mothers and fathers assign a name to us, you know, when we're born into this world. And here our Heavenly Father who's going to give us a new name. That, to me, is just thrilling. We have this stone that's been used for voting. And, you know, we could say that Jesus is saying yes, you know, and he's given you this white stone, which is also used for proof of invitation and permission to enter. And we also know that in this town of Pergamum, there were many, many martyrs. And Jesus refers to Antipas, who was the first. And he became officially linked with cases of Christians deserving death. In other words, he would not go to these temples. He would not kneel down and offer incense. It wasn't a small thing. It was an act of worship. And we know right from the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament that you should only worship one God, the Lord thy God, and him only. Not only was this a New Testament teaching, obviously this was a biblical teaching, Old Testament, New Testament combined. This was number one. You know, you just don't do this. And some of the Christians were doing it to save their own lives. Uh, But Jesus saw it, and he sees everything. So he commends Antipas uh, here in this letter. Many were martyred after that, but he was also a great example for the Church of Pergamum. So they needed a hero. They needed somebody to step up. He could have been one of the early pastors there, a bishop. Uh, We don't know exactly what his title was, but he was a man of influence in the Pergamum Church. So now we move on to the Church of Thyatira. The city was famous for purple dye. We read in Acts chapter 16, it says that one of those Listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. This was one of their major, major exports. They were famous for their purple dye. In this part of Asia Minor, in these churches that we're talking about, there was tremendous uh, supernatural spiritual battles going on. I mean, there were so many temples, as we discussed, there's so much pulling and dragging from the enemy. Uh, this wasn't, you know, in America here, we get used to uh, a little bit of soft life. There, it was all-out battle. They had to deal with some of the Jews that were being converted to Christianity. So the other Jews would come against them, as we've seen in Scripture so many times. And that battle raged. And then there were those who used to worship at these temples. 
and indulge themselves in all these uh, immoral practices that were now getting saved. They were coming to the Lord. And these people knew who they were, and they would come up against them and say, well, it used to be this way and that way. And we can relate to that. Even in our own testimonies, we were a certain way. Maybe we hung with a certain crowd. God got a hold of our lives. And some people appreciated that, but many of them didn't. And many of them didn't like the fact that, what do we think, we're too good for them and all that stuff, you know, that you hear when you first get saved and people misconstrue how you really feel. It's just that you've changed and now you have a new way of living, but they don't like the light. The light becomes very bright. You know, and then they would not like the message of Jesus Christ because it would convict them and they would probably turn them in. Then they would have to come before the authorities and either um, bow, like in the days of Daniel, and bow or get thrown into the, the lions or get thrown into the fire. In this case, you know, they were drawn away, they were beaten, and many of them were killed. And so let's look at the scripture now in chapter 2 as we talk about the church in Thyatira starts with verse 18. It says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on the bed of suffering. And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any more burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, he will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the Lord has a lot of good things to say about the church of Thyatira. You know, he says they're faithful and they've been working hard and they're even doing more now than they did when they first got saved. So he was pleased with them. But there was something going on within that congregation. There was a false prophetess, and she was leading many astray. And the problem was the church tolerated her. They let her mix in, and they let her come to the services, and she caused disturbance. And they did not test the spirit. You know, in 1 John chapter 4, John tells us that we need to do that. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And that's in First John. So we see it's important to test the spirits. And this woman was coming in and she was telling them that she had dark mysteries, you know, that needed to uh, be revealed and that God was revealing to her these deep mysteries. And she was wrapped up in the occult. 
So she was probably mixing it all together and making it sound very spiritual, you know. And sometimes you run into these people, right? They're like paint themselves as these super spiritual people. And one of the things that they do is they pull the attention to themselves in a way from the Lord. So when you start seeing people bringing all their attention upon themselves and the focus is upon them, you know there's trouble because we should only be glorifying God. And whoever one of us is used in some way, whether it be in a prophecy or be in a preaching or singing or teaching the word or helping out or, you know, whatever position, you know, we find ourselves in, you know, we should do it humbly because God is the one who gives it the strength and the gifts. You know, we didn't take the gifts, you know, we didn't come up with them. We didn't purchase them. They were freely given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what's happening. And this church is being torn apart because of it and dragging all these people along with her. So the Lord gives a stiff, stern warning. He says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on the bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. Then he goes on to say that I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Wow, that's quite a statement. You know, there's a lot of things going on here. Yes, there's sexual immorality going on here, which has a lot to do with the worship in those days of these idols and these other so-called gods. But there's also a spiritual immorality going on. There's a spiritual adultery being done here. And you know how the Lord uh, looks at it, and you see in the Old Testament a lot, how he looks at the spiritual adultery as cheating on him and moving away from him and committing uh, this form of spiritual adultery with other gods. And so this is what we're looking at here. And he says, I will strike her dead. You know, that's quite a statement to make. And so how do we rectify that? How do we say, well, wow, you know, this is Jesus talking and it's pretty harsh. But it's pretty harsh what they're doing. We'd have to be there to really see it and feel it. So let's look to scripture and see where other places in the word it talks about this kind of thing. And we look first in Jude. And Jude says, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless. They change the grace of God into a license for morality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. So Jude is talking about it. He's talking about these people that slip in and they start teaching other doctrines. And in Second Peter chapter 2, Peter addresses this issue as well. He says, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the power of the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. So we see in this situation where this woman who's bringing in all this so-called deep teachings that of leading these people astray. They're leaving the gospel, the truth, and they're following other teachings. And also there's teachings that say that, you know, 
people in the last days will get other teachers and bring them into themselves like having itching ears, which means, you know, wanting to hear something new, something cool, something deeper, you know. And those kind of people that are not solid in the Word of God, well, then they start looking for these other things. If you're looking for them, the devil will find them for you. There's plenty of false doctrine out there even today for people that are looking for something new, something exciting. Let me tell you, the Word of God is exciting enough. There's so much in it. There's so much that the Holy Spirit wants to teach us. We just don't take time to learn it. So this warning could be a physical warning like Ananias and Sapphira when they dropped dead. But it also could be a spiritual warning. You know, when you play with the devil, you pay the price. And everything looks good in the beginning, doesn't it? Sin actually does look good. And it's and we kid ourselves if we say it doesn't. It looks good and it tastes good and it feels good when it's happening. But the price that you pay is the price of your eternal soul. And the devil takes, once he's got you hooked, it's like the big fish. He just reels you in and you're done. So just like Paul said, when he turned certain people over to Satan to be sifted, you don't know what these people have gone through and the pain that they went through because you don't make a deal with the devil without pain. And so he also brings to mind to all those who aren't following this. He's saying, look, you know what? Those who remain faithful to me and don't follow this new cult, and those of you that overcome, you will rule with me. And in the Greek, that means you will shepherd you will shepherd with me the nations with the authority of Christ. That is an incredible promise. And he says, I'm going to give you the morning star, which is what? It's the promise of glory. In Daniel 12, verse 3, he says, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So the morning star is the glory of God, is Jesus Christ. What an incredible promise. Life eternal, the glory of God surrounding us, ruling and reigning with Christ, which we'll get into greater detail when we talk about the millennial reign, where Christ comes and actually rules and reigns on this earth for a thousand years, and we will rule and reign with him. Our God is amazing. Well, that ends chapter 2. Chapter 3 is coming, and we will discuss the church at Sardis and Philadelphia, and then the church of Laodicea. So until next time, well, we'll get into chapter 3 and then keep moving on as we get deeper into the book of Revelation. I believe God is going to show us some amazing things. God bless. Take care. This is Russ Galzo, Chronicles of the End Times. Talk to you soon. <music>